Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are in full swing, and we have coverage across all of our channels to keep you up to speed as we make our way towards the finals. Make sure to check out the Ringer NBA show for daily coverage of the games from each series, and theringer.com to read Kevin O'Connor, Dan Devine, and the rest of our NBA experts break down every key matchup. And don't forget to tune in every Sunday evening to the Bill Simmons podcast to hear Bill and Ryan Russillo's NBA reactions from the weekend. As always, these can be found on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Game of Thrones Precapables, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we preview the Thrones episode to come, and today we have a lot to get to as we break down what to expect in Season 8, Episode 5, the penultimate hour of Game of Thrones. I'm Zach Cram, and joining me, like Kyburn, as a rational man, it's Riley McAtee. Wow, that feels like a real a real burn toward me, man. I love Kyburn. Uh, Kyburn is one of my favorite characters on the show. Uh, no, he's a freak. So we're changing things up a bit this week. Instead of offering a theory of the week and keys to the game for the most important characters, we're answering your questions in a special mailbag episode. Thanks so much because all of you listeners submitted a ton of interesting questions and theories. So that's coming up in the second half of the pod. But for now, we're going to start, as always, by diving into next on Game of Thrones. So heading into episode five, we can assume we have a battle coming between the good guys and Cersei. This episode, like the Battle of Winterfell episode, episode three this season, is directed by Miguel Sapochnik. It's going to be 80 minutes long. And good news, because you don't have to worry about those TV settings. It looks like from the trailer, it's going to be a battle in the light, not the dark. And as we mentioned on a previous pod, Miguel Sapochnik said in an interview at one point that he wanted to direct episodes three, four, and five because he felt that they were one arc and they only had him direct three and five. So three was obviously the big battle episode. That's what he specializes in. We think five will also be a battle episode. But Zach, what do you think it means that Sapochnik sees this as all one big arc? Yeah, that's really interesting to me because like we sort of touched on last week, Episode three seemed like a culmination of a huge plot thread. So the fact that he saw that as the beginning of something that would end now is really interesting. And if I had to glean something from that comment, I think it probably has to do with Daenerys's arc because, I mean, you wrote about this after Sunday night. She really had the bookends in episode four. It started with her mourning Jorah and it ended with her sort of enraged as Miss Sunday was killed. So if you're looking at it in arc, as Miguel Sapochnik said, I think it probably has to do with maybe it's Danny finally being pushed over to Mad Queen territory or something because she's lost basically all of her advisors who came from the East with her. And I'm not sure what else that quote could be referring to. Do you have any ideas? Between Jorah's death in episode three and then moving into episode four, which was in my mind, totally about the isolation of Daenerys, Mm -hmm. that this is all about setting up her heel turn into sort of mad queen territory, we think, in episode five, as she becomes more and more tempted with fewer and fewer options other than burning King's Landing and potentially taking out many innocent lives. So let's break down what we see in this trailer. Interestingly, we have no dialogue, some cool music to rely on, but uh, no quotes to go off. 
So the first image we see, we see Tyrion on what appears to be Dragonstone. So we assume they must regroup after the meeting in King's Landing at the end of last episode. Then we see a bunch of really quick images. We see Cersei looking rather pleased standing in the Red Keep. We see Jon and Davos and Tyrion outside King's Landing. So obviously they've arrived after traveling by land. We see the harbor with Euron. We see the Golden Company marching, et cetera, et cetera. What out of these images stands out to you? Well, I think relating to what we just said about Daenerys, Tyrion, as he's kind of walking through Dragonstone, looks really hesitant and almost a little scared and afraid. And it kind of seems like they're already hinting again at this continuation of Tyrion's hesitancy toward his alliance with Danny and how he feels about her as queen. And I think he's seriously considering his own turn, where he betrays the mother of dragons that he chose. And I think the conversation that Tyrion and Varys had last episode is going to yield some sort of payoff here, whether it's, like you say, Tyrion betraying her or Varys, who seems intent on betraying her. This wasn't in the trailer, but uh, in some pre-episode five photos that were released earlier this week, we saw Varys talking with John. Is Varys just going to try to appeal to John immediately? There's kind of some tenuous ground there because John doesn't know that Varys knows about his parentage. Remember, he swore Sansa and Arya to secrecy not to tell anyone else. But then Sansa told Tyrion, Tyrion told Varys. It's a game of telephone at this point. So will Varys just go right in and say, hey, John, I know something now, and John will just be perplexed about how? I think there will certainly be a lot of scheming in this episode, and it won't just be the battle. There's a lot of behind the scenes going on, too. Shouts to Danny, who told John, hey, if you tell Sansa, she's going to immediately plot against me. And then John told Sansa, and Sansa immediately plotted against her. It's great that uh, Daenerys has a better read on Sansa than John does, even though they are family. I think if Varys goes to John and says, hey, I think you should be on the Iron Throne, that would be a huge mistake. And I think John would probably immediately take that to Daenerys. And as Daenerys promised in season seven, if Varys ever plots against her, she will kill him. She will. She said that she would burn him alive. And uh, Varys sort of took that in stride and said, well, you know, if you are wrong for the realm, I'll accept whatever consequence. That could be something that happens if Varys were to make that misstep in this episode. Could be the last episode for Varys. I wonder if we, I presume anyway, we will see a number of deaths in this episode. I wonder how many of them will occur actually in battle versus in more intimate settings. Something that Mallory Rubin noted on Binge Mode after the Battle of Winterfell is that a lot of the biggest deaths in the series so far haven't come in battles. You know, Rob and Joffrey died at weddings, Tywin died on the toilet, and so on. So even though we have this big battle to prepare for, like I would bet if Cersei dies, for instance, it wouldn't be in the thick of the fighting. If Varys dies, it wouldn't be in the thick of the fighting. So I think if we get a lot of cutting back and forth between a battle and something else in this episode, almost the something else side of it could be more violent than the battle itself. Battle deaths are probably like Grey Worm, Euron, maybe uh, Harry Strickland, who is even a character. He's had one line in the series so far, but guys like that. So let's go to Euron and Harry Strickland, who you mentioned, as a reminder to our listeners who might not remember. Harry Strickland is the leader of the Golden Company, who we saw in episode one this season, and basically he hasn't had a line since. So we do see the Golden Company in King's Landing in this trailer. They seem maybe to be escorting some hooded figure at the back of the regiment. Could this be Jamie? I don't know who else it would be if it's just like a random person and we're not supposed to get a clue out of it. But 
you know, there's been some weirdness with travel times over the last couple of seasons. I think it's pretty safe to say that they don't care about that as much at this point. So if Jamie wants to end up down at King's Landing before the fighting begins, there's no reason to say he can't. Could he make a direct appeal to Cersei before the fighting even begins? And that's what the Golden Company is doing in the trailer, escorting him perhaps to the Red Keep. Yeah, and I wonder why Cersei would really trust him. You know, they didn't leave on good terms, and he just uh, was embedded with all of Cersei's enemies. So, you know, if Cersei's smart, I wouldn't let Jaime get anywhere near her. What I like about that part of the trailer is before the Battle of Winterfell, the trailer didn't show anything about the Army of the Dead. That was all mysterious. Here we see definitively the quote-unquote enemies of Danny and John and everyone else. We see the Golden Company. We see Euron a couple times. We see a close-up shot of Lannister troops loading a scorpion. I would be pretty surprised after the scorpion surprisingly kills Rhaegal last episode if Danny lets Drogon die by the same method. But it's not like she's been the best airborne tactician thus far. So I wonder how she's going to get around that obstacle. Yeah, it looks like it's a little cloudy. I mean, at the end of the trailer, so Euron is kind of looking skyward. And interestingly, he's not manning the scorpion that he just showed he's so skilled with, like almost unbelievably unrealistically skilled with. And he is instead kind of standing in front of his guys and looking up and you can hear presumably Drogon because you know the dragons, a screech, Uh, going through and he looks a little afraid kind of uh, a little shook and it's interesting to me because it would seem like you would be more confident than ever with so many scorpions on your side having just shown how easy it is to kill a dragon with those weapons that you should be really really confident in your ability to kill Drogon and mitigate this dragon threat instantly but it looks like they're kind of flipping it and going back to saying now the dragons actually are this huge terror that everyone is scared of. Maybe Euron's like Aquaman. He derives all of his power from the water and, you know, put him a mile inland and he just can't get anything done. I think the contrast between various facial expressions in this trailer strikes me as pretty fascinating because like you said, Euron, even if he's not scared, he at least looks concerned, whereas Cersei just looks perfectly pleased. She's looked that way for a while now because all of her machinations are going to plan. But I would guess that that comes sort of as the battle preparations are beginning and she might just be surveying to see like her army is bigger than the opponents. She has the defensive fortifications. Last episode, Varys said that the two sides matched up as distressingly even and that was before Rhaegal died. So you would think Cersei has the upper hand now Plus, she has you know the red keep on her side, whereas Danny would be attacking the defensive walls. Of course, it bears mention that we don't see any actual fighting. We just see what looks like a lot of the beginning stuff, and then that one shot with the dragon screeching. I wonder how much of this episode is even in the trailer. Like, is all of it in the first ten minutes? I think that's possible. I mean, the the thing with Euron's face looking concerned, it's not like he looks that scared, but it's just when have you ever seen Euron not look like? completely arrogant and full of himself. So even just a little bit kind of hints at a, a flip in the power dynamics here, because as we saw last episode, Danny has like 40 unsullied left that she marched up to the gates. But I don't think that it will be that lopsided because, you know, as we suspect, I don't think that Cersei and Euron will necessarily win in episode five. One thing we notably don't see in this trailer is anything in the North. We possibly left that region behind, at least for now, when all of the 
action moves south, this could probably end up like how in episodes two and three this season, there was no south. Cersei was gone for two episodes. I'll touch on this in a second, but I'm a little disappointed by that if it ends up being the case. I wish we still had the entirety of the cast in play here, but it's possible that characters like Tormund and, you know, poor Ghost and Sam could just be gone until, you know, the end of episode six. I don't know what role they have to play here. There could be a surprise, but at least this trailer seems to confirm that possibility. I think Sam will definitely come back in some form. I just feel like he's too big of a main character, but I would not be surprised if we literally just saw the last of Tormund on screen, which would be fairly disappointing. So let's move to that next segment where we make actual predictions about the show, and then we'll move on to the mailbag. But as usual, we're each going to offer two predictions for this coming episode, one that we think will happen and one that we're not so sure but want to happen. There are only two more of these to go. Riley, what do you think will happen this episode? So I think that the unnamed Prince of Dorne, who was mentioned in the last episode, will actually show up in person in this episode. Yes. Yeah, so Varys, as they're making their battle plans, out of nowhere says, oh yeah, the new Prince of Dorne supports you, Danny. We don't know who that is, but... It just feels like such a throwaway line of dialogue, but there might be more to it. So there is a rumor that the show cast an actor named Toby Osmond before the season, and a casting website called it, quote, a great royal role in the next and final series of an epic network fantasy saga airing in the spring of 2019. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? If you look this guy up, he just looks like he's Dornish. I don't really know how to describe that. He's kind of like a Mediterranean-looking guy. Definitely could play a Prince of Dorne-type character. And it, it just feels like making that Varus line, a throwaway line, doesn't necessarily track for me because why bring it up at all? We've gone oh, like a whole season almost without Dorne being mentioned. They don't need to be brought back into the fold. Uh, the show clearly has no problem with writing out whole regions. It's not like we learned who's ruling in the Reach or who's ruling in like the Westerlands or wherever. Uh, so bringing it up makes me think that that character might actually play a role. And we have this actor who we believe was cast. And so I could see him coming into the fold. If he does, I think it has to be this episode. It'd be weird to bring him in for the final episode. I wonder what his name would be if they bring him in because they didn't offer it last episode. We've really only been introduced to one house in Dorne, the Martells, and they seem to be eradicated. Characters like Quentin and Ariane, who appear in the books, haven't come in the show. He could be a Dane. We know Sir Arthur Dane from the Tower of Joy flashback, and that is an established Dornish house. They could bring in something like the Drinkwaters, but I would guess if he appears, he might bear the name Dane, just because viewers are at least somewhat familiar with that already. Yeah, I wonder if he could be Darkstar, uh, like, you know, the show's version of Darkstar or something. Love me some Darkstar. Yeah, it'd be, it would be great. But uh, he also could be just a show-only creation as the Prince of Dorne. And, you know, they just give him some whatever name. So the thing I think will happen is maybe the most ambitious prediction I've offered in this section so far. But I really think that all three Lannister siblings will die in this episode. I think... Cersei is the villain. I could see her making it out of the season alive, but it's more likely, I think, that she dies, and that would probably happen in this episode. Tyrion, you know, we've been joking about Jon having a death wish for a couple seasons now. How many times has Tyrion 
placed himself next to the mountain, placed himself in the line of archer fire. And to do it, he almost has a death wish himself. And he's been wrong so many times lately. I could see that finally catching up to him. Maybe he's the one who betrays Danny and gets caught for it and gets roasted. And then with Jamie, I think the fact that he left Brienne so brusquely, the fact that he's going back to this war zone after having that, oh, I'm just going to stay up here and be with the person I love and be safe moment puts him on the wrong track. I am not convinced that, as he told Brienne, he's going back to save Cersei. I don't know if that's true or if it's misdirection, but either way, I think returning to battle after surviving against all odds the Battle of Winterfell puts him in harm's way. I think it's wild that Tyrion, shortly after learning from Bronn that Cersei wants him killed with a crossbow, willingly stepped into the line of fire of a bunch of scorpions and archers, and then Cersei just didn't kill him? Very bizarre. I think that you're right about all three Lannisters dying. I don't know if it'll be this episode, though. I could see, especially with Tyrion, if he does betray Daenerys and gets caught for doing so, that feels like something to me that would be resolved in the final episode, not in this one. But I do think you're onto something here. I don't think the Lannisters are long for the world. Part of this prediction is also, as we talked about before the Battle of Winterfell, in George R. Martin's initial outline for the story back in 1993, he listed five characters who were going to survive through the whole story until the end. Those five characters were John, Daenerys, Bran, all three of whom I think are safe in this episode. Then Arya, who we'll talk about in a bit. I'm not sure where her arc leaves her now that she's killed the Night King. And the fifth one is Tyrion. The Battle of Winterfell didn't kill any of those five characters. If this battle is going to surprise us by doing so, I think Tyrion is the most likely. Riley, what do you want to happen? I would like for Euron to die in this episode. Uh, I wrote a piece on him this week where I called him the plot device pirate. He has typically been used to quickly level the playing field between Cersei and Daenerys. He's done this multiple times throughout season seven and season eight. And there just hasn't been a lot of thought given to the logistics of his attacks. He just comes out of nowhere, ambushes them, kills Rhaegal, and then sails away. And I'm just done with it. I'm, I'm done with him, and I'm ready for him to go. Uh, he's not particularly interesting to me. He's kind of got Salador Sans motivations just pasted onto him. You know, he wants to sleep with the queen and <laughs> rule Westeros, but not as king, just alongside of Cersei. And I find it boring and played out. And if they're going to bring a character back in this episode, I hope it, Yara comes in and we get uh, another Greyjoy to kill him. But really anyone, anyone just find a way to put a crossbow bolt through his heart and I'll be happy. What I want to happen is what I referenced earlier. I don't want to spend all 80 minutes in the South. I understand why they did this with the North in episodes two and three, because Cersei is really the only complex character in the South at this point. She has Euron by her side and she has Harry Strickland by her side. And she has the mountain by her side, but none of them really fit the bill. But in this case, even though the center of the action is in the south, the characters you're leaving behind aren't the mountain and Harry Strickland. The characters you're leaving behind are Sansa and Bran and Sam, all of whom we assume still have important roles to play. And I don't want to get those movements shunted entirely to episode six, because that's going to be an episode chock full of character movement anyway. I think they need to... Start with that this episode. I think Bran, I'm not sure what his role is going forward, but I would be shocked if Sansa has no time at all. She has been positioned as one of the 
power players, truly one of the only masterminds left. And if she's just absent for an entire episode in the final season, I'd find that stunning. Plus, it's nice while other characters are making silly plans to have a bit of competence on screen. So it's not like everyone is being foolish. It's a pretty low bar to clear, but Sansa being like, hey, our armies just fought the battle of Winterfell. They fought the army of the dead. Maybe give them a day to rest before immediately marching south to take on another foe. Like That seemed fairly refreshingly smart, and nobody listened to her, but I don't want to see everyone just making mistakes again without her influence to at least try to right the ship. She can be a bit of a schemer, but just the fact that she's the only person thinking about like, how do we feed all of these people instantly makes her probably the smartest person left at this point. So let's move on to the key segment today, which is our mailbag. Uh, We got a ton of great questions on Twitter and via email, and we're going to try to answer as many as we can now. Some of them focus on characters, some of them focus on bigger picture elements. So let's dive in. The first question is about Arya. This is from Nell Dizzle, who asks, whose face will Arya wear? And we also got a question from Oscar saying, does Arya have something significant left to do in the series? Seems like killing both the Night King and Cersei would be giving too much weight to one character. What do you think, Riley? I lean toward I don't think that she'll wear a face again. I do think she'll have something interesting to do and significant to do in the series going forward because she's Arya. She's one of the five characters that we just highlighted as being a part of George R. R. Martin's original script. I don't think that she'll kill Cersei. I think that would be too much to give her, and it feels like that is more appropriate for Jaime or even Tyrion, but I could see her possibly killing the mountain, you know? Everyone is ready for Clegane Bowl to happen, but we kind of forget that the mountain is also a name on Arya's list. Perhaps Clegane Bowl does happen, but instead of the Hound winning, the mountain wins, and then Arya gets revenge and she kills the mountain, which would be kind of great. You know, tiny Arya killing the mountain? I'd love it. I'm kind of split about this question because on the one hand, not returning to the Arya stealing faces plot would fit with the show's seeming move away from fantasy elements. It's fitting that of all the skills she learned in her vacation in Bravos, she has used the fighting skills very recently. She killed the Night King with them, but those are more grounded. And the more fantastical elements, the stealing faces, the magic, she hasn't used in season eight. It's notable that since leaving Bravos, she's used another face to kill the phrase, but she hasn't used it since then. And that was at the end of season six and in the first scene of season seven. That was a long time ago. And remember, she was carrying faces with her at Winterfell. Sansa saw them when she was going through Arya's things and she was kind of horrified by them. I would hope that there's a reason Arya is still carrying them, not just a character reason, but a narrative reason too. It could be how she blends herself with like the Arya and the no one persona, how she blends them together. But I'm not sure whose face would make sense for her to steal at this point because she hasn't been in King's Landing since season one. So it's not like she would have the face of any character Cersei would trust. There's been some theories that maybe Jamie dies and Arya steals his face and then kills Cersei, thereby fulfilling multiple branches of the Valonqar prophecy. I don't really believe that just because it seems a little too fantastical for the direction the show is going. So I think it's in a tricky place right now. Like you, I would lean toward Arya won't wear a face, and that's kind of disappointing. 
There's also the issue of her face wearing magic is a little just overpowered, you know, if she does get the right face of somebody that Cersei trusts. And it doesn't have to be Kyburn or Jamie. It could be just like a serving girl or something. She can just walk into King's Landing and kill Cersei. And that's not satisfying. It doesn't make for good television or good storytelling. And so they have to find a way to kind of nerf that overpowered ability. And I think the way they do it is they just ignore it and they focus on her other assassin training and not necessarily the faceless magic. The showrunners probably also, if Arya does something really cool, want Maisie Williams to be that actress doing it. Yes. Like there's a reason that in the Harry Potter movies, the characters use Polyjuice Potion a lot less than they do in the books. It's because the movie makers wanted Daniel Radcliffe on screen. And I think the same philosophy could apply here. All right. What's the next question? Ethan asks, will Dario Naharis make a comeback? I don't think so. I know you've been rooting for Dario all season. I don't know, man. I've been rooting for it, but uh, it, it feels unlikely at this point. I think when they were seriously down on troops after the Battle of Winterfell, that would have been the time to call for him. If not before the Battle of Winterfell, maybe you need some more people to fight the Night King. That would have been helpful. At this point, I think it's over for Dario. We were concerned about how they were possibly going to match up after their forces were seemingly decimated in the Battle of Winterfell. Then they had the War Council meeting last episode, and they said, oh, yeah, half the Unsullied survived. We still have a bunch of Dothraki left. And sure, that's a big cut to their numbers, but I watched that episode. There were not half of the Unsullied still standing. There were not Dothraki still left. So I think that precluded the possibility. Grey Worm cut off the Unsullied, and it seemed like they all sacrificed themselves, and then suddenly uh, they're just back. A bunch of them lived. So I don't know what happened. I hope Dario's enjoying Marine. Next, we have a question from Jason, who asks, what's next for Sam? Technically, the Night's Watch is no longer needed, so can he return home to head up the family? Yeah, I mean, I think that it would make sense for him to go to Hornhill and go somewhere safe for Gilly and his family. I feel like Sam will be one of the few characters that comes out of this season having a good ending. I also love the theory of him being the one who writes a song of ice and fire in the universe after that was kind of hinted when he was at the Citadel a little bit, you know, where he was telling the maester that you need a more poetic title than this war of the five Kings, blah, 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 title that the guy had for the book he was writing. So I think that it makes logical sense for Sam to go at least South somewhere, Citadel, Hornhill. I, I don't know why he would stay up in the North and stick around with the night's watch or anywhere up there. I think that's what's next for Sam. And it seems like they're building a family together and so few characters on the show have had the chance to do that. I'm glad that John didn't draft him into another war again and is going to let him enjoy that side of his life after so long with that not even being an option for him. The next question is from Marie. She asks, the previous season foreshadowed Danny being pregnant. Is that just not going to come to fruition at this point? I really thought that would come up in this season. I thought John and Danny were going to if not have a child, at least she would become pregnant with one and that would further complicate their relationship. Now I'm not so sure, in part because we have Cersei's pregnancy, we have Gilly's pregnancy, that's already a couple going on and that would be a third to add at this point. Furthermore, it's now been four episodes and it's unclear how much time has passed, but if Cersei's aware that she's pregnant, then Danny would presumably be aware that she's pregnant if the conceptions both occurred around the same time. And furthermore, the line from the books that convinces Danny that she can't get pregnant is 
from Miri Mazdor all the way back uh, when she's married to Drogo. Miri Mazdor tells her in the course of a prophecy that she's not going to be pregnant. And then that specifically reverses course at the end of the fifth book. That doesn't really happen in the show. That line from Miri's prophecy is cut out in season one. And the specific moment that readers of the books realize that Danny could now have a kid happens when she's wandering with Drogon in the Dothraki Sea after escaping Meereen. That moment happened three seasons ago at this point, and nothing happened to make viewers think that she can get pregnant now. I don't know where that foreshadowing goes from last season. Maybe it was just a red herring. I was never that big of a buyer into the theory that Danny can get pregnant and is just wrong about that. I kind of felt like it was a little reaching for me. And I think at this point, if they are building to a potential Danny John schism, then I think having Danny be pregnant would make that so much more complicated and hard to pull off. It makes a lot more sense if John's going to ever turn on Danny at any point if she's not also carrying his child. The, if she were pregnant, I think that would be a bridge too far. So if that's what they're building to in order to make it believable, I just think she can't be pregnant. And in fairness, they have seemed to change course with a few other season seven subtleties. Like Tyrion really seemed to be in love with Danny when he looked on with what appeared to be jealousy on that boat. That hasn't really manifested at all in season eight. So perhaps this is just another example of that. Next question comes from Colin, who asks simply, what is Varys up to? He's scheming. Well, as we said, we have the the set photo of Varys and Jon walking on a beach, likely on Dragonstone, talking together. And I think it's pretty clear. Varys made it pretty clear himself last week. He wants to install Jon on the throne. He thinks Jon is a more natural leader, that people follow him more, and that he's less inclined toward tyrannical sort of actions the way that Daenerys has this mad queen stuff going on. So, you know, I think if Varys were being ideologically consistent, he would realize that uh, the small folk, the realm of Westeros really doesn't care who sits on the Iron Throne and that probably the best thing actually is for Cersei to just keep the throne and not have any war, that war is actually the worst part for the small folk and the common people of Westeros, that um, even if a bad person sits on the throne, a bad person during peace is far better than a good person that takes a war to get there. But, you know, I think what Varys is thinking right now is all about Jon Snow. Leave Cersei on the Iron Throne better for the people of Westeros by Riley McAtee. You heard it here first. I'll, I will stand by it. I, I think that it, it doesn't matter if the leader is good or bad as long as there is peace. That's the number one thing. We did have that quote from Jorah all the way back in season one when Danny tells him like, oh, Viserys said people root for the restoration of the Targaryen dynasty. And he says people pray for rain for their crops and health. And Tyrion echoes that this last episode saying the millions of people in Westeros who are subject to the Iron Throne don't really care who sits the chair. And Varys says, yes, they do. It, it will matter to them. The way they framed that scene made it seem like the message was Varys was right. I wrote about this on the site this week, if you want to read more about this, I'm really interested to see how that specific plot line gets resolved because I think it will say a lot about the ultimate message of the show and the ultimate lessons it wants to teach about power and governance and the importance of sovereignty over a group of people. I like that Varys seems to be one of the few characters that has a moral backbone or is at least thinking about common people and suffering and struggle and power. But I just don't know if he's necessarily really thought it all through and understands that 
doesn't actually matter what games the High Lords play, just as Jorah says. It really doesn't matter. What matters is whether it's summer or winter and whether the realm is at war or not. Let's move on to the next question. Michael asks, shouldn't Euron know the baby isn't his? How else would he think Tyrion knew about it? Cersei reveals to Euron last episode that she's going to have a child and that it's his. Kyburn confirms this. But then in the summit, Tyrion shouts up to the ramparts, I know you're pregnant. So the question is, how would Tyrion know if Cersei had just found out? I think there's a distinction between characters making mistakes and the show making mistakes. Just because a character either doesn't realize something or make a bad plan doesn't mean that's a problem with a show. Like this is semi related. You know, Jon Snow conceiving a poor defense of Winterfell kind of fits with his character, where he has enacted poor battle plans before. So complaints about Jon's battle strategy, I think, are separate. Here, though, it's kind of strange. Like you could argue, and maybe I would, that. Euron let his niece and nephew escape after being named ruler of the Iron Islands. He didn't have anyone guard them, even though he wanted them dead. Euron let Theon rescue Yara while he was off fornicating with Cersei. He's not the sturdiest boat in the sea, so maybe he just didn't put two and two together in that moment. I'm not sure, but it kind of resonated a little oddly and doesn't totally fit in with that character. His skills at sneaking his ships up on people and shooting the scorpion are unrivaled. He's the best ever at both of those things, but his skills at connecting obvious dots and protecting his hostages are seemingly terrible. He might be kind of an idiot, which would honestly fit with his character and his whole persona and everything. I was surprised that they didn't have a moment where Euron kind of looks around and wonders how Tyrion knows Cersei is pregnant. But I also think that Euron and Cersei probably both die this episode, so it won't end up mattering. Yeah, like Tyrion said, if various people die, then all the problems are solved. Let's move on to Nicole, who writes about Clegane Bull. She thinks there's a twist. The mountain is a white, and Sandor has to defeat him with fire. Seems like that could tie in well with their backstory and make more sense with the current plot progression. I'd note here that the mountain, it seems, isn't a white. White seems to be the term reserved for creations of the Night King. The mountain was reanimated by Kyburn, and who knows what kind of mad science he got up to. I think it's important to note that Benjen, who was not a white but was reanimated, didn't die by fire. Beric, who was resurrected, didn't die by fire. Jon Snow was resurrected, and he hasn't died again, but I think he's probably mortal, and it wouldn't necessitate fire to kill him. So I don't think it would be necessary for the Hound to use fire to kill Clegane, but it would probably fit with his arc because the mountain was the one who inspired his fear of fire in the first place. Yeah, I like the idea of that coming full circle, but I also feel like the Hound already had his fire moment during the Battle of Winterfell when you know he kind of started to tuck tail and run, and then he sees that Arya is in danger and he overcomes his fear and goes to save her. So it feels like they've already played that card a little bit and that it wouldn't really resonate as much the second time. Let's move on to the next question. It is from Jack, and he asks, how do you see Bran and Sansa fitting into the finale? We're going to talk about Sansa a little in a second, so let's focus on Bran. What does he do now? I hope something, anything, please. My prediction last week was that we wouldn't learn any more about Bran's powers, and we didn't. The only thing he did was converse with Tyrion for a bit about how he shouldn't be envied, that his life is actually really not much of a life at all because of his transformation into the Three-Eyed Raven. 
The only thing I can think of here is to remember that in episode two, Tyrion and Bran start to talk and then it cuts away from that scene. I wonder if anything was revealed in that moment that could help propel things in the endgame. It just makes their conversation in episode four, though, so confusing in that it, it you know, Bran tells Tyrion about his wheelchair and tells him how he lives in the past. And it feels like that was stuff that you would have covered in their first conversation before the Battle of Winterfell, like almost as if they had hardly talked at all when they're talking at the feast. I have no idea what Bran does at this point. He is the character for me that is the hardest to figure out going forward. I really do not have any clue where he fits into the story now that the Night King is gone. I just hope we get an explanation for some of that. Are he and the Night King kind of a yin-yang thing? I'm not sure. Hopefully, we'll find out. Next question is one I really like from Brian, who asks not just about this upcoming episode, but about the two remaining He says, who will be the last character to die on screen? I had an immediate answer. I know it took you a little longer to come up with one. Yeah, so I, you know, I I feel like during this pod, I've actually talked myself into the idea that it could be Tyrion, that he is the kind of last person and ultimate person to betray Daenerys and that in doing so, he will end up earning himself some sort of execution. And so I think as a fan favorite character, his death being the last one would make a lot of sense to me. My immediate response was Daenerys. The Mad Queen stuff has really been building up and accelerating. And George R. R. Martin has described his anticipated ending for the show as bittersweet. That was the word he used. And we know that a few years ago, Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners, met with George R. R. Martin and got a rough outline for the ending of the show. We don't know how much of that they've used thus far this season, how much still remains. But the belief is that at least the very ending will comport with George R. R. Martin's ideas. And it's hard to think of a more bittersweet ending than perhaps John having to kill Danny to save the kingdom when she is his relative, she is his love. She has been built up as one of the two main heroes since episode one of season one. So I think Danny is going to be the last character to die on screen. That would make a ton of sense to me, too. I really don't feel confident in saying any character will be the last one because I, I don't feel I know where it's going yet. Next question is from Ryan. He asks, there's been two visions in the series of the throne room in ruins and covered in snow. Is there a connection? An interesting thing about this is I think we both assumed these visions of the throne room being covered in snow meant the Night King getting into Ken's Landing, or at least winter. Or Jon Snow. That's a good point. We saw these visions twice. First, with Danny in the House of the Undying, all the way back in season two in Karth. We also saw this in one of Bran's rapid fire series of visions. Yep. And... The idea is first that the Red Keep will end up in ruins. I think that's probably going to end up happening because Danny still has one dragon and she seems more and more intent on destroying that property. But the second implication that Winter would arrive that I thought maybe won't happen anymore. We don't know the relationship between Winter and the Night King. Certainly doesn't seem like Winter is in King's Landing in last episode or the scenes for this next one, even though in season seven, we saw snow start to fall in King's Landing. I'm not sure what the relationship is there. So I could see half of that vision being fulfilled now, but not the second half, if that makes sense. Are we in 100% agreement that it is snow in the throne room and not ash? Because I know that 
some people do think that when you watch that scene that it's ash. I think it's snow, but I wonder what you think, Zach. I thought it was snow too. If it's ash, do you think that just fits with the dragon roasting theory? It could be, yeah. It could be that, you know, in roasting King's Landing, Daenerys destroys the thing that she's trying to get in the process, which would be pretty poetic. But when I watch that scene, I can see the way that the snow or ash kind of clings to her hair, and it just looks like snow to me. I'm completely convinced that it's snow. And at this point, without the Night King and with winter seemingly not really showing up in force, I kind of think it refers to John. Related to this question, there is one other vision from Bran that we have yet to see in the show, and there is a, a quick shot that he sees of the shadow of a dragon flying over King's Landing. Now, this could have been when Daenerys flew to the dragon pit last season, though we didn't see that exact shot of the shadow. Uh, personally, I think we'll get that shot in this episode when she uses Drogon in this battle. We'll get that exact shot pasted into here, and so it will bring everything together. I hope when that happens, we get to see how the various folks inside King's Landing will react. I really like that shot of the Winterfell citizens reacting at the start of the season. So I hope we see that because in Winterfell, the dragon was coming to help out. Here, the dragon would be coming for war. Next question is from Kyle, who asks, who is your prediction to sit on the Iron Throne at the start of the season? And who do you think it is now? So I would have said Santa at the start of the season. I was just completely convinced that they were positioning her as the smartest person in the show. She's the best mastermind. She's learned from political maneuvers in being in King's Landing for so long. You know, she's adopted a lot from Cersei, adopted a lot from Littlefinger, but isn't nearly as cruel or vindictive or just flat out evil as either of them. And so I think that she is the most competent, obvious person to take the throne. And I still think that. I still think it'll be Sansa. Um, if it's not independent kingdoms or no throne at all, which I could also see. And Zach, I know you adopt that theory. I thought nobody would end up at the Iron Throne before the season. I still think so. Partly because of that vision, I think the Iron Throne is going to be destroyed. The central object of so many characters' motivations for eight seasons, I think will be destroyed before the end. And it'll go to some sort of independent kingdom kind of thing. If I had to pick someone, I agree that I would pick Sansa. I think Danny probably is going to die and John would be too obvious a choice. But I think she's probably content just leading the North right now. That's the largest region in the country anyway. So she'd still have plenty of influence. And, you know, then Gendry will rule the Stormlands and this random new prince in Dorne would lead down there. Sam in the Reach, potentially. We'd go back to almost like a pre-Aegon the Conqueror method of rule. Last question. So this is sort of the elephant in the room. We've kind of been hinting at it all podcast. Camilla, Aaron, Evan, and a bunch of people asked some version of this question, which is, what does the show need to do to stick the landing? How can the final two episodes be satisfying when so much of this season has not really been that satisfying? So to that concern, I'd first offer a note of caution, which is that as critical as folks have been about the last two seasons, myself certainly included, it's not like writing the ending is an easy task. Remember, George R. Martin hasn't published a new book in eight years because after so much expansion of the world, the tightening of this story that's so rich in detail can't be easy. And not all parts of the last two seasons have been poor. I actually liked last week's episode a great deal because even accounting for some wooden plot mechanics, I thought the character moments crackled and the intimate conversations felt true to the world we've gotten to know over the last decade. The same was true of episode two this year. So I think in the end, 
the care that goes into the smaller moments needs to apply to the bigger picture aspects of the show too. You know, the answer to why did this thing happen can't be just because the plot said so. I wrote about this before the season. Action should dictate consequences, not the other way around. And I'm sure we'll get more great character moments either this week or next after The Last War is done. The show's not going to end with a battle. There will be at least a bit of fallout. But don't skimp on the bird's eye view stuff either. Don't just place someone on the throne and cut to the credits. I think for the show to succeed at the end, it needs to add back in the layers of nuance and the shades of gray that have elevated it since season one. And really since George R. R. Martin wrote the tale for the first time a decade plus before. I almost like want a lot of the predictions we've made to be wrong, but not just for the sake of a shocking surprise like the showrunners have seemed to veer toward recently. I want that to happen because the developments make sense, both in the world of the story and in a meta way for what the message is, what the story means at large. You bring up episode two and the characters, and that for me is the thing. At this point, I am just resigned to believing that the plot really won't make sense. It hasn't made sense. They've cut too many corners, too many shortcuts, too much Euron just showing up to kill Rhaegal, things of that nature. And I kind of think that we'll get similar plot problems as we head into these final two episodes. But I hope that the show can still find a way to do right by the characters. That's really what, for me, is at the heart of this story and will be what makes or breaks these final two episodes for me. I want the show to give these characters conclusions that compellingly wrap up their arcs and are true to the characters we've come to know over the last eight seasons. Some of those arcs are clearly building toward tragic ends. We've talked about Tyrion, we've talked about Daenerys, we've talked about a lot of characters who you know, may not have a happy ending. That's fine. That can happen and still be totally satisfying. I'm not talking about just fan service. You know, it doesn't have to be everybody singing and dancing, chanting kumbaya as we head into the sunset here. In fact, that would probably not be satisfying. But as you brought up episode two, I feel like that was the high point of this season for me. It was so right by the characters, was such a love letter to the characters in such a beautiful way. And if we get something like that in episode six that really hammers home who these people are that we have come to know and love over so many seasons, then I think that that will be satisfying for me, at least in one of the ways and for one of the reasons that I love Thrones so much. And who knows, like season five was the consensus worst season until seven and eight. And toward the end of season five, they pulled off Hard Home, which is my favorite episode. So there's still a reason for optimism as we enter the last two episodes. We'll talk about that a lot next week. But for now, that's it for us. As always, don't forget to rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to read all of our written covers this week. Riley wrote about what the problems with Euron's character reveal about the show at large. And I talked about the unaddressed issue of post-war governance. Of course, tune in to Talk the Thrones with Mal, Jason, and Chris live on Twitter every Sunday night after the episode airs for more instant analysis. We'll be back next week to preview the last ever Game of Thrones episode. Until then, enjoy number five and watch out for stray scorpion bolts that might catch you and your dragon unaware. Heat-seeking scorpion bolts. Heat-seeking scorpion bolts.